So we thought today would be a good day to raise money for an air conditioning unit. So uh, we're going to have the, uh, the ushers come back down. And I guarantee we will make enough. I, I mean, we're just like sweating. That's how it should be every Sunday, though. We're worshiping so hard. that we're, It's because of the worship, right? It's not the heat, right? No, I love it. We, hey, we bear together through all things. And uh, this is one of the Sundays we're just bearing through the heat. And then we'll go outside and enjoy it, hopefully, this afternoon. There's something that I want to do. I don't normally do this, but uh, it's, it's worthy of the attention that it needs. And that is, this week, the youth are going to camp and, uh, for a whole week. And so what I want to do is I want to invite any of the youth leaders, if you're volunteering at all to help with the youth, I want to pray for you. So come on up, and I want our church to pray for you. So if you're volunteering in any way as a cabin leader or, yeah, come on up, all the way up. Come on up. Feel lonely. Come on up. Yeah. Where's Shay? He's doing music. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So just so we're clear, I'm not going, Okay. These guys are going, and with them are about 70 kids, youth, junior high and high school, that are going with them. And uh, I can say this, I've got three of my own boys going to it, and I'm just super thankful for you guys. Thankful for the hard work you guys have put in already, and then the next five days, Monday through Friday, of into junior high and high schoolers, staying with them in the cabins, making sure they stay hydrated, and they eat, and do all this normal things that junior hires and high schoolers don't do but should do. Uh, we're going to make sure it happens. And then more than all of that is your investment into them spiritually, uh, pouring into them uh, the Word of God. And so uh, hopefully, church, you understand how thankful we are and how blessed we are to have a staff like this. And, um, and so I just want to pray for them. I want you guys to pray for them and to spend this week praying for them. Uh, Ryan's coming out. To teach um, this week. You guys don't know Ryan. Um, actually, the young adults, because he, he spoke at a young adult event, so you young adults who are at, at that are there. He's going to come out and preach the word. And uh, so they need our prayers, and they need your prayers as well during the week. So let's just spend some time praying for them uh, right now. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we just want to come before you and, and first of all, just say thank you for the work that you are doing in the lives of our junior and senior high school students. What a blessing it is to, to be a part of a church that values students, that recognizes that our students need the Word of God. They need the truth. Lord, thank you for giving us this staff, these volunteers here who have stepped up and said, I'm willing to take vacation time, time off of work to pour into students. Thank you for their heart and their desire to want to see Christ live in the life of young people. And so our hearts are grateful and our hearts are thankful. And Lord, we do lift them up this week as they go off to camp, spending five days with them. And, and Lord, give them the strength that they need physically. Give them the strength that they need spiritually. Give them the patience that they will need this week as well. The energy to make it such an exciting week. But most of all, Lord, we pray that you would use them to impart truth into their hearts and that our students would value such a great time together. Lord, thank you for Jonah and his leadership 
uh, the hard work that he's put in for Jonah. Uh, our intern for the summers came and, and, and started to, to carry some of that, that weight this year, this summer. Lord, thank you for both of them, the way that they have led. And Lord, we just ask for a great, great week this week. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thanks, you guys. Yeah, you can go back to your seat now. They delayed for the applause. That's what it was. It was delayed. No, I'm just kidding. Awesome. Hey, next, next week is Jonah Hernandez's last Sunday, and, and we're putting together for him a, uh, an offering, um, just a way to say thank you. And if you guys want to contribute to that for him, um, to help for his schooling, just to help uh, for the needs that, that he has this coming year as he goes back to, to college and for your senior year. Um, and so this week and into next Sunday, we'll be collecting an offering for him. And just want to encourage you, if you guys can, uh, support him in that way. You can do it online. There's a drop down there for, for a way to, to support him or just give him the offering and, and just let us know that, that that's for, for Jonah. All right, sweet. Now grab your Bible. Let's get into God's Word. Let's hear from the Lord uh, this morning. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. We're going to take on this question this morning, a very important one, which is this. Are you connected to Christ? Are you connected to Christ? John chapter 15, verses 1 to 11 is what we're going to take on. Actually, we're going to spend this week and next week talking about John chapter 15, 1 to 11. I just want to read it for us. It says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes. That does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branch are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. There's two major words or major themes here in John chapter 15, 1 to 11. And the first one is this, bearing fruit. The second one is this, abiding in Christ. And the two go together. If you abide in Christ, you will bear fruit. And if you are bearing fruit, then you are abiding in Christ. And so what we're going to do over the next two weeks is we're going to spend time talking about what it means to bear fruit and then what it means next week to abide in Christ. If you remember, John chapter 15 is set in the middle of the Passion Week. This is the last night before Christ would go to the cross to die for the sins of the world. He is having one last meal with his disciples, one last opportunity to teach his friends before he goes to the cross. 
And Jesus knows this. It's in John chapter 13. Uh, in verse 21, he knows this, is that he, he feels the weight that the disciples are feeling, and he knows that they are troubled in spirit. He can see it on their faces. He can look into their eyes. He can hear the tone in their voice, the questions that they're asking, and he knows this, that there's a lot of uncertainty swirling around the group right now. The disciples are uncertain about even what Jesus is saying. What do you mean you're going away? Well, where are you going? Can't I go with you? They're anxious. Not only that, but Jesus is telling them, I'm going away and you cannot come with me. And then he tells them he's going to leave for them the Holy Spirit. And a transition is taking place where they will no longer be with Jesus physically, but they will have the Holy Spirit upon them. And they have no idea what that means. But Jesus is telling them this, that it is better for you that I go so that the Holy Spirit can be within you. This is creating a lot of anxiety. This is creating a lot of uncertainty. The disciples are troubled. And so Jesus says in John 14, verse 1, he says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus begins to encourage and exhort his friends, his troubled friends, his anxious friends, his uncertain friends. He tells them in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans meaning that I will always be with you and I will give you the Holy Spirit to be upon you. And he starts to encourage them now. And we come down to, to, to uh, chapter 15 and in verse 1, and Jesus gives them a short lesson here. And the lesson that he gives them, the illustration that he gives them, is that of vines and branches and bearing fruit and abiding in Christ. Jesus wanted to make sure that these disciples knew how to transition well from being with Jesus physically to being without him. And the first lesson that he gives them is this. You must be correctly connected to Christ. You must be correctly connected to Christ. Look what he says. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dress dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. There are only two types of people in this world. There's only two groups of people in this world. There are those who are correctly connected to Christ, and there are those who are not connected to Christ. Jesus always spoke in absolutes when it came to grouping people. You're either in the light or you're in the darkness. You either bear good fruit or you bear bad fruit. You're either on the sand or you are on the rocks. You're either on the narrow road or you are on the wide road. Jesus always spoke in these large groupings of those who are following Jesus and those who are not following Jesus. There is nobody who is standing firmly with both feet on both paths. You're either in one or the other. You're either connected to Christ or you're not connected to Christ. And he uses here a common biblical illustration for those living during this area to understand what he's talking about. He uses a vine. Now, vineyards were very common in Israel, still are. 
In fact, over the entryway of the temple, uh, going into the holy place, you could see a very large vine that went over the entryway. I mean, this thing was massive. It was one of the most notable features in all of that, that area. In fact, Jewish historian Josephus said this, that, that some of the grape clusters coming off this vine were the height of man. I mean, this thing was massive. Everybody could see it. Everybody knew exactly what it was and, and the beauty that was there for it. And Jesus comes up with this analogy. In fact, this is the last I am statement of Jesus. And he decides to use this. He says, I am the true vine. When Jesus said this, it would have arrested the disciples' attention because the disciples would have known this, that Israel was the vine. They probably would have scratched their head and said, well, wait a second, I, I believe and I know because I've been taught since I'm a kid that Israel was the vine. In Psalm 80, in verse 8 and 9, it says this, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root in it, and it filled the land. In Isaiah 5, 7, it says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. In Jeremiah 2, 21, it says this, Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. And what these verses are talking about is the imagery here that Israel was planted by God, that they would yield much fruit and a rich harvest. That God chose Israel, out of all the nations to choose, he chose Israel to be the one by which spiritual nourishment would come through that nation to bless other nations. But instead of good works flowing out of Israel, instead of righteous and holy fruit coming out of Israel, the vine Israel was barren. And the common fruit that Israel would bear and produced was idolatry. It was sin. It was wickedness. It was spiritual abandonment. And because of the vine's failure to produce good fruit, God's judgment came upon Israel. And so Jesus says this, verse 15, it says it underlined, he says, I am the true vine. And when Jesus said, I am the true vine, what he meant by this is now spiritual nourishment and life and blessing would no longer come through Israel, but it would come through me and only me, the Messiah. I'm the true vine. I'm the one that gives spiritual life. I am the one that will supply you spiritually with the nourishment that you need to grow and to bear fruit. Israel has rejected their Messiah. Israel has forfeited the place of blessing. And unless you are correctly attached to Jesus Christ, you will spiritually shrivel up. If you're not connected to the vine, then you are spiritually dead. Ephesians 1 in verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
So church, attachment to the vine is critical. Attachment to the vine is essential. If you are not attached to Jesus Christ, then you are spiritually dead and you are gaining nourishment from something that cannot satisfy your soul. If you're not attached to the vine, you're missing out on all the spiritual blessings that are in Christ Jesus. If you're not attached to the vine, then you are, then you are not getting the spiritual nourishment that you need on a daily basis to combat the arrows of Satan that are being shot your way. You have to be connected to Christ. And so Jesus is telling his disciples this. I'm the true vine. You must be connected to me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. As it says in verse 5. Let me ask you a question. Seems like a good place for a question. What do you attach yourself to when life gets difficult? What do you connect yourself to for spiritual encouragement? When uncertainty comes your way, when hardship comes your way, when you're in the middle of something difficult, and maybe that is you this morning, you're in the middle of uncertainty, you are on a daily basis connecting yourself to something to keep your soul alive and fresh. What are you connected to? Do you connect yourself to alcohol and drink away the pain? Do you connect yourself to drugs? What are the crutches that are holding you up in the midst of hardship and difficulty? What is it that is feeding your soul right now? Jesus is very clear, and he wanted the disciples to be very clear, that when you go through hardship and difficulty, remind yourself this, that spiritual blessings flow from the true vine, Jesus Christ, and everything else is a fake. Everything else won't satisfy. If you're attaching yourself to anything other than Jesus Christ, it won't take long before you've shriveled up entirely. It won't take long before you have no spiritual life, you have no vitality. Because you're being fed on fake nutrients. You're being fed on Satan's food. And if you're doing that, then you're not bearing any fruit. Jesus knew this with these disciples. This is an important lesson for the disciples because looking ahead, Jesus knew this, that these 11 in that room right there, Judas is gone. Jesus sent Judas away. These 11 in that room would be the ones who would have to endure the most difficult persecution imaginable. They would be the martyrs. They'd be the ones who'd be persecuted for their faith. They'd be the ones who would establish the first church. And Jesus wanted to make sure that they understood this. Don't look anywhere else than to me to find spiritual encouragement. You're going to need it. Come back to the true vine. Now notice here, Jesus now identifies to us two different kinds of branches. Two different groups again. 
This is how Jesus talks all the time, and we should be thankful for this. We keep trying to make a third group. There is no third group. There's only two groups. You're either a, you're either a, a branch that's bearing fruit, or you're a branch that's dead and not bearing fruit. So this is the first group. He says this, the fruitless branch. The fruitless branch. This is the unbeliever who thinks they're connected to Christ, but are not. This group of people are those who do not bear any fruit. This branch is dead. This branch is not connected. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 1, that we are dead in our trespasses and sin. He tells us in verse 6, 7, and 8 that apart from faith in Jesus Christ, by the grace of God that you can be saved so that you could walk in good works. This dead branch is not bearing fruit, and therefore, because it is not bearing fruit, it is not a believer, it is not a Christian. To say it another way is this, you cannot be a Christian and not bear fruit. Jesus even says it. This is the identifying mark of a believer. Your life bears good fruit. When you bear good fruit, you reflect Jesus Christ. Someone who is not bearing fruit, they're simply an imposter. Pretending to be connected to Christ when they're actually connected to something else, making a verbal claim with no backing to it which amounts to nothing more than having a dead faith, a fake faith, a a false faith. You say, well, it seems like they're connected to the vine. Well, they're connected to the vine with Velcro, where they can pull themselves away as quickly as they attach themselves. And just snap themselves on. Okay, now I'm a Christian. Yeah, look, I'm doing a thing, and I rip myself off when I don't want to be a Christian. And I come back, and I attach myself back to Christ. And it doesn't work that way. James chapter 2 and verse 14 to 18. I want you to see this because this, James makes it really clear. Turn to James chapter 2. Speaking of those who say they have faith but don't have works. Those who say, hey, I'm a Christian, but my life doesn't reflect it. I'm a Christian, but I don't need to live like Christ. What does James say about this kind of faith? Verse 14, chapter 2. He says this, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and and one of them says to them, go in peace, be warm, be filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But some will say to you, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. What is James saying? James is saying this, you cannot just make a verbal affirmation that Jesus is your Lord and not back it up with a life that is not bearing fruit. 
you say you follow Christ, your life will bear fruit. It's a distinguishing mark of a true believer. If you're rightly connected to the vine, then you're alive. And if you're alive, then you're bearing fruit. Richard Phillips says this. This is so, so helpful. He says, so what kind of branches are connected to Christ without possessing his saving faith? The answer is nominal Christian. That is, those who call themselves Christians, attend church with Christians, and engage in many actions that Christians do, but who nonetheless do not possess the life of Christ through true and saving faith. He goes on to say this, the good fruit is the only proof of our profession of faith is true and saving. Being present in church, being baptized, being a member of the church, being part of a godly family are not proofs of salvation and new life. Moreover, it is possible for a person to affirm the basic truths of the Christian belief Yet to possess none of Christ's life, the true and only proof of salvation is fruit. Guys, it's time for us to stop playing chameleon Christian, where we blend in with every group that we're around where we blend in with the group that says, hey, I, I kind of am a Christian, but I'm kind of not. Let me just blend into that. Or, or I'm going to be at work, and I'm not certainly not going to be a Christian there. I'm going to blend in there. And then, oh, I'm at church. Well, I'm going to blend in there as well. Listen, church, Christians don't blend in. Christians stand out. In fact, that's the very term, holy ones. That's what it means. You're set apart. You're set apart to be different. And the way that you're different is that you bear good fruit. You show kindness, you show peace, you show patience, you're forgiving, you're loving. All the fruits of the Spirit are manifest in your life. You don't blend in with others. You stand out. And your life, your branch, is filled with all kinds of fruit and people look at you and they go, wow, that person is different. We've got to stop playing games with just saying, oh, we're a Christian and just wanting fire insurance. Realizing this, that there's no such thing as fire insurance. Your life will reflect good fruit or you're not connected to the vine. In fact, it says this in verse 6 if we're back sorry I gotta go back to John 15 if you look back it says this if anyone does not abide in me if he's not connected to me what happens he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered thrown into the fire and burned this is the end result of a fruitless branch eternity separated from God in eternal hell And we've got to take inventory on our own hearts to make sure that we're number two in the second category, which is this, the fruitful branch. The fruitful branch. This is the life of a believer. When you're connected to the vine, you bear much fruit. But Jesus gives us some insight here. Look at verse two. He says, every branch in me does not bear fruit. He takes away. We just talked about that. He takes it away. Burned everlasting punishment, everlasting judgment. And look at this. And every branch 
that does bear fruit, he prunes. I want everybody to underline those two words, he prunes. There's this illustration here, the vine, and now there's a vine dresser, that is God. And this illustration here would be God as he is the farmer. What farmers do, what good farmers do, is they prune back trees. They prune back their, their crop. I'm not a farmer. I've tried to be a farmer. Uh, I have three fruit trees in my backyard. None of them are healthy. None of them are bearing good fruit whatsoever. And uh, it's because I have no idea how to prune a tree. And I really have no excuse because I'm from Fresno, which is the Central Valley, which is like the mecca of fruit trees. And, and I just never figured it out. But I understand the concept. You got to cut away the dead branches. You got to thin the tree. You got to make sure that all the right nutrients are going to the healthy, healthy parts of the tree. You got to cut it back. And this is exactly what, what, what Jesus is saying and what Jesus is teaching them there. And, and this is even true with, with grapevines and vines. You cut them back, you prune them, so they'll be even more fruitful. And the idea here is that behind all the pruning is that God is cutting and removing whatever is in your life that is inhibiting growth. He, he's trimming it back. He's cutting it out of your life. Because those things, those sin tendencies, those things that you keep running back to time and time again to find nutrition is only a fake one, and you're pretending to be fed. And God says, I need to prune you. I need to cut that out of your life. I need the good nutrients to go to the, the fruitful branch so it can bear more fruit. And so God, the Father, prunes the life of a believer the one that is bearing fruit, the Lord wants to prune it so that it can, it can prune, so that it can have even more fruit, an abundance of fruit. Meaning this, that the Lord will allow, providentially allow, and ordain difficulty and trials and hardship and suffering and uncertainty into your life as a means to cut and trim and strip away anything that is stunting your spiritual growth. God will take a scalpel to it, and he will cut it out. Strip it away. It's taking up too much of your time. It's taking up too much of your effort. You don't know this, but it's inhibiting your spiritual growth. And God cuts away the dead, the unnecessary sin, the bad habits, the hindrances in your life. And this pruning process can take many forms. It might be the pruning process of simply getting a bill that you were not ready for. It could be that your car breaks down. It could be something even more than that, where you lose your job. Friends are moved away or taken away from you. It could be that you're rebuked by a brother in Christ. It could be that you might have to suffer loss, or there's a wayward son or daughter, or you're in a difficult marriage. James 1 tells us that these trials come in various times with this, this multicolored uh, palette there, and, and all these trials take on various kinds, and each one is ordained for each person to prune you so that you would bear more fruit. 
And so this is what God does. He recognizes this, that there are things in your life that are doing damage to your soul. And because he loves you, he needs to cut it out of your life. He wants you to bear as much fruit as possible. A.W. Tozer says this, It's doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. And we know this to be true. No tree says, hey, would you come prune me? I'm feeling a little unhealthy. Could you come prune me back here? So the Christian doesn't go, hey, God, I'm ready. Just, just, just let me have it. Whatever it is, just, just, God, just let me have this trial. I'm ready to be hurt. God, hurt, hurt me, hurt me, hurt me, God. Bring me a trial. I, I need the trial. Give it to me, God. No, nobody does that. We're on the other end saying, man, I'm producing some good fruit here. I mean, my life, I'm right in the lane right now. I am producing fruit right here. I'm the fruit store right now. That's what I am. People see it in me. That's the lane that we live in. And God brings in a trial in our life to prune us, to cut away the, the excess, to give, a great, give us greater effectiveness for the gospel in those times where he prunes us it hurts the trials hurt it wouldn't be a trial if it didn't hurt but first peter 1 6 to 7 we studied through this just kind of jog your memory to go back to it and it says this in this you rejoice though now for a little while if necessary you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is he saying? He's saying this, you know that you're a believer because you got through the trial and you still love God. You rejoice. James 1 says this, 2 and 3, count it all joys, my brothers, when you meet various trials or trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. These trials are working something in your life. Now, I want you to notice this. Go back to John 15. Look with me in verse 3, because you've got to see this. The agent of healing. Okay, this is the agent of healing. You cannot miss this. I'm not going to just leave you cut open right now and you're hurt. Let me give you the agent of healing because Jesus does. Look what, it, look what it says. Verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Jesus is talking about sanctification here. He's talking about spiritual growth here. He's talking about what happens when we apply the word of God. And listen, this is how trials work. This is how suffering works. Okay, if you've zoned out, it's hot, it's sweaty, everybody's, I, I need a hanky right now myself, okay? You know, I, I, heating up, come back to this. Listen in right here. This is how trials work. This is how suffering works. It reveals the hurt in our heart. It opens us up. The trials cause us to stop and reflect to sit and listen to God. The trials put pressure on us. They reveal who we are and what we love. And we apply the word of God to our hurting hearts. That's what stimulates the growth. The suffering doesn't stimulate the growth. 
the application of God's word to the suffering stimulates the growth. What becomes the agent of healing? What becomes the agent of growth? The word of God. So you go through the suffering, you go through the trial, you go through the praying, and you never apply the word of God. Guess what? You're going to go through it again. Until what? You apply God's word to it. John 17, 17, Jesus says it so clearly, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. It's the word of God that is the nutrients for your soul that produces the fruit. The trials open up our hearts for the application of the word of God. Before the trial, our hearts were hard to the word of God. In the trial, we run and we cling to the word of God. It becomes our comfort and our source of life, the nutrients we need. When we take in those nutrients, we take in that comfort, we recognize that Jesus is the true vine. Then, through that suffering and that hardship and through, that, through, that, through the pruning in our life, what do we do? We bear much fruit, more fruit than we could ever imagine. And in that, you know that you are rightly connected to the vine, Jesus Christ. Let me just sum up with this. Let me give you three reasons why God would prune your life. Okay, three reasons. Three reasons. Man, it's hot up here. I'm going for it, though. Here we go. Number one, we just talked about this, that you would bear much fruit. Okay, listen closely. You are his child. God is not angry at you. God is not angry with you. Okay, for those of you who, as a lad, a lad, what am I, British? As a child, <laughs> as a child, were disciplined for doing wrong, we would sometimes think mom and dad are angry at me. And that is carried over into our theology. When I do something wrong, God is angry at me. That's not true. God is not angry at you. God loves you. And he wants you to bear much fruit. He wants you to be the most effective Christian as possible. He's not pruning you because he's angry at you. He's pruning you because he loves you. And he's saying this, I need you to go through the hurt so that you can come out healthier. Tim Keller says this, Jesus lost all his glory so we could be clothed in it. He was shut out so we could get access. He was bound, nailed so we could be free. And Jesus took away the only kind of suffering that can really destroy you, and that is being cast away from God. He took that so that now all suffering that comes into your life will only make you great. A lump of coal under pressure becomes a diamond, and the suffering of a person in Christ only turns you into somebody gorgeous. Why does God prune us? He prunes us so that we would bear much fruit, so we can be more effective for the gospel, so we can greater display His Son, Jesus Christ, and the glory of the cross. Number two is this. It's to build dependence on Him. Gosh, isn't this so true? We go through these trials, we go through hardship, we go through difficulty. We're... God's wanting to know, hey, where do you find your satisfaction? Are you dependent on me or are you dependent on a substance? Are you dependent on something else? 
He wants to shake us to figure out what it is that satisfies us. Where do we go? Do we find our dependence on Jesus Christ alone? Where, where, where do we find the nutrients to think that we're going to keep us alive through this difficulty and this hardship? Where, where do we find our dependence? But if you look at verse 5, it tells us what? I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So it makes no sense for us to search and search and search somewhere else to find, to, to not see and have that which satisfies. Growth only happens when you abide in Jesus Christ. Full dependence on him. And then third is this, blessed assurance of salvation. Write this down. God does not prune unbelievers. God does not prune unbelievers. He discards dead branches. He only prunes those who are truly saved. That's what it says. Hebrews 12, verses 5 to 11. I'll give you just part of it. It says this, God disciplines those he loves. Andrew Murray says this, God has no pleasure in afflicting us, but he will not keep back even the most painful discipline if he can but thereby guide his beloved child to abide in the beloved son. Stephen Charnock says it like this, we often learn more of God under the rod that strikes us than under the staff that comforts us, right? Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says this, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. Don't go tired of the fact that God loves you and wants you to bear much fruit. Church, don't grow weary in that. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. And so your pain and your suffering, the uncertainty that you're feeling, the anxiety that you're feeling right now, there's a reason for it. We may not know what it is. We certainly want an answer today. We may not get it. But God is teaching us and God is pruning us and God is showing his love for us. You can be assured of your salvation knowing that God is pruning you so you can be more effective. So you can share the love of Christ to others so you can glorify God. We don't want to waste our suffering. We don't want to waste our, our hurt on worry and panic, right? Let's not waste it. Let's not waste it on, on sinful things. Let's use it to the glory of God. And so we go back to the original question, are you rightly connected to God? And then is God pruning you? And if he is, Now's the time where we say, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to lean into your word, and I'm going to drink from the deep well of your word, 
and it is going to fill me up, and it is going to satisfy my life, and I can't wait to see what you're going to do in my life. Because it's all, it's all for my good, and it's all for his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you once again for your word and the encouragement and comfort that comes from it. Lord, oftentimes we can get sideways in our thinking, thinking that we're not loved by you, thinking that you're mad at us, you're angry with us. We know, Lord, that there is a pruning process for there to be healthy branches. And for some of us, even this morning, we're going through a time of pruning where you're cutting away, and Lord, it hurts. It's painful, it's real, and it's hard. And Lord, if there's those going through that right now, I want to pray for specifically for them that they would run to the Word of God, that you would allow them to block out time just to be in the Word of God, to be nourished by it. Not to run to all the distractions, not to run to the world, to try to find comfort, not to run to all the fake things, the phony things that the world says, this will satisfy you, this will satisfy you, this will make you happy, this will take away the pain, this will take away the hurt. It's all a fake. Only you can satisfy. As you said, you are the true vine. All spiritual blessings come from you. And Lord, I do want to pray for those who are not connected to the vine, who think they are. Maybe they've grabbed some duct tape and wrapped themselves to the vine, but they're not, they're not rightly connected to you. And I pray, Lord, that you would reveal that in their hearts today. They love all the things about church and the traditions of the church and the going and comings and goings of church and even the people of church, but they're not connected to you. They don't have a deep love for you. And I pray, Lord, today you would soften their hearts and draw them to you and that today they would rightly connect themselves to you and you would give them life. And I pray for all of us that our lives would be marked by bearing much good fruit that we would be known by our love, joy, peace, and patience, and goodness, self-control. That all the fruits of the Spirit would mark our lives. And in doing so, we would glorify your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.